Hello, and thank you for listening to the Cornerstone Podcast. My name is Jeremy McNair. I'm the worship pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Today, I'm accompanied by two of our other pastors, David Wilson and Bobby Harrell. And together, we're going to be exploring the additional content from 1 Corinthians 1 that would be fantastic as you continue to study and engage in the Word in our study. There's lots of ways that we want to get you involved. We'd love for you to connect with us by sending us a text of any questions that you may have. You can do that by texting the number 817-809-3040. That'll send us a message with your comments and feedback. We'll be able to address as many things as we can in the upcoming weeks of sermons, video devotionals, and podcast material that we're going to bring to you. Again, this is just a wonderful opportunity to provide supplemental content to not only our church family, but to all of our listeners all across the world as we engage in the text and letter of 1 Corinthians. So to kick this episode off, David, when we were doing our studies, we really got hung up on one person in particular in chapter one, and we had lots of questions about who this person was. But why don't you why don't you introduce us to this mystery person? Yeah, this is and this is an important person for us to know who this is. And so we see in verse eleven, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's. People will have touched on this in the sermon, but we wanted to give some more time and some more airtime really to Chloe to talk about who she is. Why does Paul reference her? Is she an important person? Does, does she show up at all later in the letter? I mean, what's going on with this person? Obviously a great name. First of all, let's mention that Chloe, what a great name. Yeah. And, and uh, I was just, as you were just reintroducing her. You know, there's in a Christian context, there's lots of Marys. I've known some Phoebes, some Susannas are mentioned in the Bible, and you don't meet that many Chloe's. No. And Chloe's a great name, but it's also a great individual that's mentioned. And we need to name several aspects to Chloe. There's some things we can, I think, know. I feel, I feel okay yeah. saying that. We can know some things about Chloe. We arrive at that by some inference and, and putting really two and two together, it's pretty obvious. Some things we'll know about her and that we'll mention, but then some things about Chloe, we can give you multiple choice. Maybe she is A or she is B or she is C. Sure. And then you'll have to make your decision because when we have researched and we've read just a multitude of, multitude, I mean, a dozen commentaries on first Corinthians and really four or five from people that are experts on the topic. Even they will say, can't say with absolute definitive nature, this is Chloe. We know this about her, but they say we can guess with some certainty that this is, and and they'll present it also in a little bit of an ABC. She's either this, this, or this. And I think we'll find as we look into as much as we know about her, that there are some reasonable assumptions to be made. Well, let's just begin with some obvious things. So let's ask this. Why does the report go out? So like, what is the report? Yeah, what is the report? Why does this report okay. go out? What what are we what what is she saying to Paul? The report is obviously not good news. That's what we know, first of all. Yeah. Paul receives a delegation in chapter one, three individuals who have hand carried a letter, a report, a, a memorandum from Chloe. It's coming from Corinth to Paul in Ephesus, mm-hmm. and 
It's of an urgent nature. It is not a praise letter. Everything is great. Hope this finds you well. It's a letter of urgency that says, oh my goodness, Paul, there is incredible division. Right. We've got some big problems in the church. We need you. We need your voice. We need your wisdom on some matters that the church is dealing with. And it seems to me that when Paul receives this, he knows there's issues. Maybe he doesn't know the depth of them. It's right. like Chloe's report escalate. You know, it's like in a right. in any conflict, it can be escalated. Yeah, yeah. Once you get new information, Chloe's yeah. report definitely escalates things. So I'll put it back to you guys. Why would Paul receive a report from someone named Chloe and give it such weight? Everybody suddenly seems to sit up straight when you mention the name Chloe. You well, feel that, don't you? Yeah. Well, and it's so much weight that this. You know, the first nine verses of the first chapter are all just kind of a greeting, right? And then we shift into what the actual thesis is going to be. What is the main question that Paul is addressing in the introduction, the real introduction of this letter? And that's when he brings up the report. So we know that there is heavy weightiness to the rivalry that she's describing to Paul. Paul's response to Chloe's report runs from chapter one, verse 10, to the end of chapter six. Right. So, I mean, it's not like Paul just briefly mentions it. Yeah. It's like half the book is about Paul's response to Chloe's report. So then we ask, what, what are some reasonable assumptions about who she was? Well, we know that she was someone who Paul trusted the word of. Well, and, and we, were, we were discussing it before we started recording. Chloe doesn't come with a commendation. Like in normally in, in Paul's letters, it's this is brother so and so. I want you to, you know, uh, or they're very commendable to me. I want you to honor them and respect them because they're so wonderful, whatever. That, that happens a lot in Paul's letters. But when we have Chloe show up, there's no commendation, there's no recommendation. We just automatically assume that what she's saying is trustworthy. Let, let me use this phrase with you Chloe needs no introduction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Whoever she is, when her name is mentioned regarding the church at Corinth or church planting in the Greco-Roman world yeah. or first century ministry, when they said, this is from Chloe, Paul felt like we don't even need to introduce who she is. She right. needs no introduction. <laughs> yeah. Now, we would like to know who she is 2,000 years later, but it gives you, see, this is what we talk about reading between the lines here. Right. The fact that he doesn't say hey, I need to talk about who Chloe is, it sends us the message that everybody already knew not only who she was, but that she's immensely respected, that whatever her word is, it carries some weight in this Christian community Mm -hmm. of the first century in Greece, but in the Roman Empire. And uh, she's a known individual, a known, and you feel like you want to say leader. She's She's a known leader in the Corinthian Christian community. I've got a report from Chloe. Ooh, everybody sit up straight and let's yeah. read this. And I'm going to give six chapters of, of, of information, of, of information to answer her report. Yeah, this is, can we just say she's a big deal? Whatever this is, she's a big deal. And she's respected. She's trustworthy. Trustworthy. All right, let, let's morph to something else. I can read between the lines and say she's wealthy. Okay, now let's, I guess what I need to shift to is Three individuals carry the report. I'm going to assume servants of some kind, colleagues, co-workers, slaves, family members. 
We don't know. But but it's one of those things I mentioned. But the verse says, Chloe's people. So let's talk about that. So, gosh, I think it was Jeremy, you were the one researching this phrase in the Greek. Right. Because we were trying to figure out the, I think the old KJV. The it old, says, of the household of Chloe. Which makes you think these are Chloe, Chloe's kids. Right. Brought a letter over. Right. That, Whereas the actual Greek just translates to Chloe's. Chloe's. <laughs> just shows possession. <laughs> possession. If you would. Yeah, exactly. It's Chloe's what then is is the right. logical follow-up right. these are chloe's what yeah. all the modern versions didn't say ho- household yeah. no that's an additive to the text and really if you look in the next verse where paul is discussing the rivalry that chloe is addressing mm-hmm. it's the same kind of concept of someone boasting to be of apollos or someone boasting to be of cephas or christ or whoever it's the same kind of nuance in the in the text that Chloe is someone that someone could be of. Correct. So what you're saying is it could also be translated or we could interpret this as Chloe's a spiritual leader. Absolutely. And these are Chloe's people. So in like in a cornerstone context, we would say these are Chloe's disciples. Right. Or these are Chloe's converts or these are these are this is her group that she has been ministering to. Right. Well, and that that idea is even more real because of the the weight and spiritual matters that Paul gives to her report. Yeah. There's another reason everybody could be sitting up straight and, you know, their ears are tuned. Sure. When, when, when Chloe speaks, people listen kind of moment here. I also come away in the, in the reading of this with a sense that Chloe is a, a patroness, a patron right. of the church at Corinth. So David, just pull, pull, unpack that a little bit and tell us what, what we mean by patron of the church. And when we talk about a patron, we're talking about somebody who uh, financially uh, backs the, the house church that would have been meeting. So they would have been the one who had the facilities, if you will, the house, to, literally, but the facilities to house the people that would have come most likely would have contributed to the Lord's Supper, would have been able to feed people. They would have been the wealthy person in the room who would have made sure that everybody was able to come in and be a part of the service. Beyond that, they also carry sort of an authority because they aren't just a facilitator or a facilities manager. They're, in a sense, the one who's leading or running or helping lead and run the church as a patron. So, we, we can't know for certain, but gosh, she, she seems to be an important person based upon all the evidence that we've just thrown out there. Right. A known quantity, a leader of some kind. Trustworthy. Trustworthy in spiritual matters. Yes. If she is the patron of the church, so what you're saying is when we read to the saints at Corinth or, or we say the Corinthian church right. or when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, the church is meeting in her house. Right. And so we're saying it looks like she's of wealth. I don't want anyone to form the idea, though, that this is just a middle-class group of suburban Americans. Right, right. We've already given the context of 1 Corinthians. There are, there are Greeks. There are a big group of Roman freedmen. There are Jews. There are immigrants mm-hmm. from the East. And there are clearly slaves right. in the room. Right. And, of course, again, just imagine being slaves or immigrants or some of the other which you would typically think of lower socioeconomic groups in the room, they don't have an expansive house, mm-hmm. courtyards, rooms, whatever. Uh, and again, their pantry probably is not, I mean, they don't have a French 
door side by side, stainless right. steel fridge, you know, walk-in freezer. They can't feed all of these people. Chloe yeah. can, it appears. Yeah. And so let me just spin this a little bit further then. If the church is meeting in your house, then you're definitely concerned with what's going on in the church. <laughs> Absolutely. You sure would be. Just like if you had guests at your house, you're concerned about their comfort level, what they're doing in your house, whether or not their kids who've come over are destroying your walls or your whatever. Of course, you're concerned about that. Well, and Bobby, you spoke about this on Sunday when we're talking about the rivalries that are present between the groups that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1. If you were just to imagine those kind of arguments happening in your living room, you know, at yeah. some point you want to say something about it. Hey, it needs to be addressed, which is why we think the report gets generated. The testimony of the church in the community. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when the people who live in Corinth say, the people down at the church yeah. have sexual immorality issues just like we pagans, or the people down at the church are fighting among themselves, or the people over at this yeah, they babble G like Bacchus. Yeah, yeah, the people that are talking in tongues like they do in the temple of Bacchus over at this Jesus follower church. Every time they say over at the church, what they really mean is over at Chloe's house. Right. So if you housed the church, you would be very sensitive yes. to the fact that you, you as an individual and your children and your family are totally identified with the Jesus movement for good or for bad. So when the Jesus movement starts turning into internal squabbles and divisions, mm -hmm. they're fighting against their church founder. Uh, there's all of these tensions. There's all of these problems. Yeah, I can see why. If that's happening in my house and the community identifies me with all of this chaos, maybe a little strong of a word, but all of this, sure. the, these problems, I would raise a red flag too. And I would try to find some in this case, apostolic figure or founding church father. Sure. And I would say, we need some help because our testimony is rapidly deteriorating in this community and right. our ability to make disciples is going to be affected. And my family, my, my real biological family, let's just say maybe my business, maybe my family business, sure. everything about my life is going to be impacted by the disunity and disruption in the church that's happening in my house. Now, let me give you a positive side to this. Well, what a big blessing it is to be able to use your house for ministry. Right. Yeah. Something we talk a lot about here, you know, Jeremy, you really oversee all of our discipleship ministry. And we often talk about your, you know, your house is your most valuable asset. Yeah. Um, for most families, that's a true statement. And uh, we talk a lot about dedicating your home to be a place of ministry where you know, you have disciples weekly or every other week sitting at your kitchen table or mm -hmm. sitting on your couch. And we're making our homes a place where our brothers and sisters and our disciples come to, you know, we all come together and we open the word of God. And this idea of using our homes for ministry is something that, that we're sensitive to because right. it's something we do. I mean, hospitality is a gifting of the spirit. Hmm. And it's something that obviously Chloe is very gifted with. Yeah. And because hospitality also has a nuance of peace, right? Yeah, and yeah, and a unifying factor. You want people yeah. to come into your home. You want to be hospitable to people by yeah. encouraging and fostering a mindset and attitude of peace. And so you have to assume that Chloe's report is being distributed to Paul with the intention of providing peace back to 
a situation yeah. that was no longer peaceful. Yeah, let's fix this thing. Restore, I think that's, I think that's harmony. Yeah, I think yeah. that's her intent. And and what a wonderful, you were just talking about using your house as a ministry. She's doing that, but not only is she doing that, she's leading by example by then doing what Jesus calls us all to be, which is to be peacemakers. I mean, she, she wants the church to be at peace, not only for her own reputation, but for the spiritual growth of each member that's meeting in her home. She comes across to me using the word peace, and this is really one of the themes that we need to unpack is unity yeah, and the plea for unity and Paul trying to get them back together and find that common ground that unifies them. You know, we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount just a little bit ago together, mm-hmm. and uh, we were looking at those words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. The children of God. Yeah. And so when you see this woman saying, we've got to escalate this issue, which is not a bad thing. This is a Matthew 18 moment. Sometimes things need to be escalated. Let's escalate this thing and let's get apostolic intervention here. And let me say this way. They've obviously not been able to resolve it internally. Right. So they're going to their spiritual authorities. Correct. You know, and now one faction in the church says, we don't believe Paul is even spirit filled. He's not as spiritual as we are. And Chloe's like, this is part of the problem. Yeah. You know, having, having given us the gospel and led us to Christ and discipled us and forged us into a living body of Christ here. Now we think we've grown beyond him. I think we need to get him involved again and let's, let's get all the children together with dad and let's see if we can sort this thing out somehow. So anyway, I think that gives you a good sense. You've got, you know, and our, our listeners can come to their own spirit led opinions after reading some works and really studying the text, but she appears to be a wealthy, a patron of the church. Right. And it matters to know who Chloe is because you have to read first Corinthians knowing how they saw her. Right. We have to understand that Chloe was a person of a certain character Mm -hmm. so that we know that now the preceding chapters are all trustworthy in their nature. Yeah. We, we have to assume that Paul is writing back in letter form to a valid and very real complaint that he trusts. And not only that, that the church at Corinth trusts. So we have to approach it knowing that Chloe was a trustworthy person. Sure. And an important figure in that community. Now, I want to I deal with what she actually reports. Because what she reports is that there are rivalries among the church. Uh, I belong to Paul. Uh, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Christ, are there particular words? And we've talked about that this past Sunday, but I, I wanted to kind of hone in on kind of this idea of celebrity pastors that you brought up. Are you saying that you don't listen to celebrity pastors? <laughs> no, not, not at all. And uh, I think it's good to clarify. Let's deal first with the Corinthians. They have clearly divided themselves into hyphenated groups. <laughs> right. I am, I'm a Pauline Christian, <laughs> yeah. or I am a Apollos Christian, you know, and it seems to be along the lines of who baptized them, who was the administrator of their baptism. You see Paul in that passage. One of you says, I'm of Cephas. So first of all, who's Cephas in case our listeners don't know? Uh, Yeah, that's Peter. That's Peter, uh, the apostle Peter that we know of. So he's, he represents like, I mean, he's like an Orthodox. He's there with Christ from the beginning, one of the most, you know, fundamental figures in the faith. And you know, Apollos is kind of the new guy, the great polished speaker, the great yes. orator. We all know who Paul is now. And, and so he, Paul's saying, you know, some of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. We, we don't actually have any information. Matter of fact, I feel fairly 
confident in saying to you that Jesus Christ never visited Corinth. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I have no information that Peter ever visited Corinth. Sure. Someone could have immigrated to Corinth that maybe was baptized by Peter. But I think Paul's point is this. You've divided the congregation over personalities. And there is a lot of evidence, the more we read through the book, that they really weren't divided over who baptized them. The really dividing factor had to do with speaking gifts. Yeah. And this book is full. Again, they're answering the question, what does it mean to be spiritual people? Mm-hmm. They have tied their answer quite firmly to speaking gifts. That's right. And, and we'll, we'll unpack that more as we go through the book. And it appears that really the rivalry in this context is between Apollos and Paul. Well, not really between Apollos and Paul. They, yeah. they, they don't have any grief with each other. Yeah, each other personally. It's the people. Yes. It's, it's the allegiance to Paul versus yes. the people who are aligned with Apollos. So that's yes. a great word, allegiance. So now that gets us to your real question. What about celebrity pastors today yeah. in our context? And the word allegiance is a great word to tie into this conversation. So... No, I, I, you, you know, all of us listen to, we listen to voices we, we know and trust well. Yeah. We listen to people sometimes that may be the contrarian opinion just to see sure. what their arguments are and right. make sure ours, our arguments can withstand sure. their arguments. Or to understand theirs even better, maybe. Maybe because so. Because we want to learn some or, perspective or, or listen, whatever. Maybe, maybe we realize our arguments don't hold water. Sure. And we're trying to and find a better way. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, we're approaching it from a very discerning mind and That's spirit. Right. That's right. Because we, we have name recognition of these people. Right. You know, and I'll just throw out some names, famous people. So that would be like the old generation. These would be like Charles Stanley type people, right. John MacArthur type people, right. Piper type, John Piper yeah. people. The modern people would be the Andy Stanleys, the mm. Matt, Chandler. Matt Chandlers. Yeah. The people like that, any, any uh, Francis Chan, sure, even like an N.T. Wright, uh, an N.T. Yeah, Wright, yeah. great Anglican scholar. Anyway, there's a lot of voices out there. And one of the things, as you listen to those voices, you're trying to discover, uh, let me say it another way, the voice of the Holy Spirit's the most important voice. That's right. And so as you're hearing other voices, the Holy Spirit's bearing witness with that. And you're trying to discern what is true. You're trying to bounce that up against what you're pastoral team in your local church is teaching and you're trying to find the answers that you're you're searching for theologically on spiritual matters the danger of celebrity pastors is this you don't really know them right and they don't really know you yeah so uh, so let's just talk about corinth for example had a fundamental misunderstanding about the role and nature of pastoral leadership it appears that they felt like the pastor doesn't exist to tell us what to do. So Mm -hmm. stop telling us what to do, Paul. Mm -hmm. They believed that the pastor's role was to make them feel good on Sunday morning with a great speech. I think so. That's the, that's the vibe I get from the book. So they had a fundamental misunderstanding of what the nature of, of pastoral leadership in the church was celebrity pastors. As you said, Jeremy, they don't, they don't, I, I, I could listen to, you know, a, a Francis Chan or, or a Matt Chandler or somebody and really hear some wonderful things. Sure. But on a human level, they don't know me. Right. They don't know my wife. They don't know anything about our marriage. They yeah. don't know anything about our children, about what I do vocationally. They're not invested in me in any way relationally. And truly, I don't know them. Right. I don't know what's going on in their life. There is no 
genuine relationship there. There is only a consumable element I have tuned in because modern technology has made this Mm -hmm. so possible to connect to all of these resources that are out there. And as a consumer now, I'm consuming something that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not careful, I can, in my mind and heart, create a relationship that doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. I can feel connected to one of these celebrity pastors. And when that happens and I start having that imagined connection, it leads to loyalty that I create in my heart to this person that I have fictionalized in my mind. That's right. Right. Yeah. Uh, who's my pastor? Well, I Charles Stanley. I don't go to church anymore. I listen to Charles Stanley. Right. But wait, but wait, is this is this what God intended? Yeah. Was that ever the point? Just to receive consumable sound bites? Or was the point of church to belong to a faith community? That's right. Led by someone who knows you. So let's talk That's about right. what's missing in that. Now and again, I'm not saying that. Gosh, we're using technology right now, of course, to communicate with you, and we love and our disciples all over the world. We're big fans of technology. Absolutely. What we're saying is, it can't be a replacement. That's right. For what you, the words you use, Jeremy, were very well. It was a faith community, right? Yeah. That you are relationally connected in. I like to say it this way: you you need a real pastoral team. You need a real disciple maker in your life. You need a living, breathing human being that knows you. Something deep in your heart, Steve McCoy, the author of the Small Circle Curriculum that we use in discipleship. Wonderful man of God. Been a great friend to us. And one of the things he said that really struck me in one of his writings is he said, you know, everybody wants to be known. Mm -hmm. Now, we've got some dark things in us that we would say, gosh, I don't want anybody to know that. But deeply, what we really want is we do want them to know, and we want them to still love us, knowing all of all about us, because that's really the way our relationship with Christ is. You know, and another major point he makes, we are formed in the image of God, and the image of God in its very nature is relationally based. That's right. He is three unique identities present in one God. And so in the same way, we are, if we are created in his image, we are created to be in community and in close proximity relations with our community of faith. Well, and those relationships form us more into the image of God each time. I love the way that you said that. When we listen to celebrity pastors, which again, I think is great for our personal deepening of our faith, but I wonder, I wonder if I went and spoke to one of these pastors I listened to and had a a real life conversation with them about what they said on a Sunday versus what they'd advise me to do right now, if I'd like them so much afterwards. Well, and not only that, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) when we look at, and we we talked about this in our last podcast episode, but when we look at who is actually writing the book of first Corinthians, we understand that Paul is writing to a very specific subset of people with very specific intentions in mind. And sometimes maybe we are siphoning off information that was meant for a celebrity pastor's congregation specifically. Right. And we are, maybe prematurely applying it to our lives without it really being applicable to our situations and circumstances. And what ends up happening is with that allegiance that comes from blindly following a celebrity pastor, it it creates an issue of someone's, the power behind someone's personal brand overarching the power of the gospel. That's right. That's really well said. Yeah. Brand. I like that because there's a danger of following 
a really good production, right? Marketing, branding, you know, uh, not saying that celebrity pastors don't have some good content because there's some fantastic oh, of they do. Well, content. We, we follow that content often. Sure. Right. We, we are students of sure. theologians or students of the word, and we are constantly looking and discerning yeah. the resources that are available to us. So I don't want to be misunderstood. Mm-mm. So let me, let me give you another aspect of the, why the celebrity pastor thing is being spoken against here. This, this dividing on cults yeah. of personality is another way to say it because there's no accountability in that. Yeah. And, the one thing we have all learned through the discipleship process is accountability is a very necessary component of spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. We need someone in our lives coaching us and saying, hey, let's get in the word. Were you in the word this week? Yeah. Talk to me about what you read. It's God really, you know, what, what did God say to you this week through his word? You know, are you in prayer? Hey, let's pray together. You know, right. hey, have you memorized a your verse, let's say our verse together and let's talk about, let's really understand what these verses mean to our life. All of that accountability, the accountability, here's something you'll never hear from a celebrity pastor. Hey, I missed you Sunday. Right. Yeah. Man, we had a fantastic worship. God's people were gathered. The spirit was moving in the room. We were on fire. I mean, do you, do you, just our hearts were filled and over we overflowed in worship. And then God spake to us through the spoke to us through spake. I mean, old English there. God <laughs> spoke to us through the word. Yeah. In, in other words, your your local pastor, your real pastoral team here, sure. there's a lot of accountability. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. That is the essential thing for growth. Right. Accountability and commitment in relationships is is everything. It's what I long for. Yeah. And it's what I need to be committed to. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's what I was w- intending to say a little while ago. And I was saying, if we had a personal conversation with one of these celebrity pastors, they probably would hold us accountable. If they knew us, you know what I'm saying? Sure, right. If they knew us, they would be exactly like the people that are around us already. And, and instead of idolizing somebody and putting them on a pedestal to be something they are or aren't, yeah. it's just healthy and it's just good to live in a normal real life relationship with you. So we're not really making a statement about whether or not you should be listening or not listening. That's not really the point because what we're really talking about is what is church? What really is church? Is it, is it just a sermon that I consume or is there more to it? Right. Well, and again, even in verse 12 of chapter one, when Paul is addressing these various people, He's not addressing them and critiquing their ministries. Sure. He's critiquing the allegiance yes. to these ministers. To, to That's a right. personality. Right. Right. And in the right. same way, we're not trying to make a critique mm-hmm. of anyone's no. ministry. No, no, no. What we're saying is there is a problem with aligning yourself in blind allegiance to a leader as opposed yeah. to the community that God's actually placed you in. Right. Correct. Because, yeah, really well because it leads to division yeah. is, is, is really Paul's point now. Right. We've made a couple other points about accountability, yeah. about you know cults of personality, about getting sure. sidetracked. And then Paul's real big point that he comes to, was Paul crucified for you? Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did, did sure. Apollos rise from the dead to be your living? Say, I mean, you know, this yeah. is the kind of language that, that he's coming now with. And, and what he's really saying is you've divided yourself. You've hyphenated yourself into groups. It is Christ that unites yeah. us. And we have to put our eyes on Christ. We want everybody to have wonderful voices in their life, speaking into life, wonderful spiritual leaders. We have great pastoral team here. And if we do our job correctly, which we can talk about a little more later, if we do our job correctly as God wants us to do it, 
we'll keep pushing the spotlight off of ourselves mm-hmm. and we'll keep pushing the spotlight onto Jesus Christ. And as people become enamored with our personalities or any other leaders' personalities, we'll very gently redirect them back to the centrality of Christ. Put your eyes on Jesus. That's the guaranteed way not to be disappointed and to be unified. Because isn't that what the church is anyway? The church is a group of believers who are bound by a common belief and purpose found in Christ. Absolutely. And I I was just thinking as you were talking there, that's what Paul urges his people to do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he says that not only, I think it's in Philippians where where we see that specific way he says it, but here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about imitating me because I'm your father. I'm the one who who spiritually birthed you, if I'm putting that in quotes, birthed you, because Jesus Christ ultimately is the one who who makes people born again. But Paul was the one who shared that gospel. And so he's their spiritual father and he wants them to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And that's the whole point. He doesn't say, don't follow me. Right. I'm just a man. He says, yes, follow me, but I'm following Christ. He puts the spotlight on Christ. So when, you know, and I've often wondered about the language we use at Cornerstone and maybe we need to clarify, you know, we always talk about you know, hey, David, how are your disciples doing? Or, hey, Jeremy, you know, tell me about your disciples. We don't mean that we're making disciples for ourselves. Right. We're making disciples for Jesus Christ. Yeah. And maybe that just needs to be said out loud a few times, but um, we're not building our own kingdom or our own followers. We're trying to say to people exactly the word you just read, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ, yeah. you know, and it's not about our personalities or, or, or the following, it's about all of us following Jesus. And and I think that that's super important because again, the rest of the book now is going to address, well, what we, what we've identified is what are spiritual people, what do they do? But one of the main things that kind of, I don't know, is a foundational aspect of a spiritual person is this idea of unity, because that's what Paul right out of the gate wants to address and is going to continually address over and over and over again. So let me ask this question. Why is unity such an important topic for Paul? And is it still important for us to even consider now? Or is this just, as we say, an occasional thing that happened in 1 Corinthians? And I think anyone that's been in church for some period of time, again, my own baggage is that I've been in church all my life. So when I say through the journey of church, you will probably encounter some division. Right. You'll encounter division because you will encounter people. And I would even say that when you encounter division, you'll yeah. see the dangers and the pitfalls that come from that division. Right. Yeah. So not only do you see it happen, you also see the consequences of mm. what happens afterwards. Right. Well, let's characterize something. Let's just talk about division for a minute. Yeah. So one of the things that's curious when you read the New Testament and you see now the sent ones, the apostles, book of Acts, going to plant, we use this word plant churches as if it's a seed. They go to make disciples. They forge the disciples into a a church in the community. So, you know, is Paul's goal to have a church on every corner in Corinth? Or, you know, we're going to ring Ephesus with 15 churches. That's our goal this year. You want to speak to that? What was their thinking about church as it related to a community. I actually love that you asked this question because we live in Texas where there are churches everywhere. Yeah. You can't not find a church in Texas. And I think one of the big differentiations between the church today versus the church that's modeled in the New Testament is that the church communities were all very based in geographical proximity. Mm-hmm. So 
regardless of who you most aligned with, you gathered together with them because they were nearby. And and they're such a minority group at this point. Right. Like we just don't have a conception of being a minority group, particularly in the West and particularly in America. But this is a minority group. So when you say geography, I mean, that that is what defined them. However many Christians we have, let's cobble them together and, and, and be together because there's nobody who thinks like us. Right. Well, so when you see Paul really making an appeal for unity, you have to consider the diversity of background, of mindset, mm-hmm. of beliefs. Yeah. Even in socioeconomic status, you have to imagine every single element at play as they join together. Because we're talking about a large geographical region, the few Christians within that region coming together and calling themselves the Church of God, which is what Paul calls them. Let me be sure I understand what you're saying. So Paul's not going to tell the Corinthians, okay, let's start a church for the Apollos people. Let's start a (laughs) church for the Cephas people. Let's start a church for the... For the true Jesus people. Right. And if there's anybody left loyal to Paul, we'll also start it. We'll just leave that church in Chloe's house. That's not what he's saying for them today. Well, what you just described is how we have the church currently denominationally bracketed sure. out, right? Whereas that wasn't the situation or the case in the New Testament. Yeah. They found a way to unify regardless of their beliefs and regardless of their backgrounds and said, no matter how our nuanced beliefs may differ, we do have unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's making an appeal to when he says that you need to unify and break away from having your allegiance in a person specifically. He's saying you need to get over all of the things that divide you because you are unified by the most important thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the big things that changed for our church in the last few years, when we all came together with the leadership to rewrite the governing documents, There was a move away from a articles of faith agreement. Mm -hmm. In other words, to to come and be a member of Cornerstone in the old days, you know, you had to sign something or affirm something that I agree with the Baptist faith, the message 2000 is what, you know, that's specifically just the articles of faith that were generally the articles of faith for most Baptists, most non-denominationals, you know, there's, there's a broad group of people. Right. that call themselves Christians that actually affirm all of those things that we used to affirm, but it left no wiggle room. It left no room. What if we disagree on something that's really a minor issue? Inconsequential. Even. Inconsequential issue. Yeah. Because we found ourselves, we found ourselves as a church saying, we're going to magnify all of these little differences where we're different with other groups of Christians and you must pledge allegiance to that. So here's the big shift that happened here. As our elders came together, they said, what we really need is we need to work for unity. Mm. Like Paul is teaching here in first Corinthians. And let's ask our people here, can we just stay centered on the gospel? In other words, we call it core beliefs at Cornerstone. We have a very short, and I'm sorry, I can't off the top of my head tell you. So I nine points which are basically saying, if you want to be, be a member here, be it be a covenant member, we basically are going to ask you to let the gospel be the foundation for right. our unity. Who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, who Jesus is. Can we all agree on a Roman's point of view salvation, right. mm-hmm. you know, by faith in Jesus Christ and just these nine things. It's not that we don't, it's not that we only believe nine things here. Sure. 
Right. We have a lot of things we believe, you know, but what we're trying to say is we can work through some of our differences. Right. And isn't Paul actually going to be admonishing these people? Listen, I realize you're Romans, you're Greeks, you are Jews. Listen, and you, you're, you're slaves. Mm-hmm. You all bring your own baggage into the church. You all bring your history into the church. But let's not magnify what is different. Let's focus on what is the same. And what is the same is our faith in the gospel message. And isn't this a beautiful differentiation between a belief in Christ versus a belief in any other religious structure? Mm-hmm. Is that we are going to say that our differences actually unify us. Mm-hmm. We all ultimately believe in the gospel as yeah. it's stated, and we are seeking after that truth. And that then anything else that comes up that may be superfluous to that. That's yeah. right. Uh, we, we can nod our heads and understand that we're coming from different perspectives and backgrounds, just like the church in Corinth did, where Paul said, regardless of your differences, come together in a spirit of unity. The rest we can work through. The rest we can work out if we have love, if we have unity, if we don't demand our rights. Now we're really talking about- Now you're getting a little ahead. (laughs) Now we're talking about (laughs) really what this book is all about. You just talked about chapter 13, 8, 9, and 10. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But but this is where we're going. We, We don't have to, you know, force- all of our secondary and third tier issues down someone's throat. Let's find unity in the gospel and trust that the Holy Spirit is God present in us. Mm -hmm. And he's working in me and he's working in you and he's working in all of our covenant members to bring us to the same conclusions. Mm -hmm. And the further we journey, we'll, we'll, we'll listen. And as we, let me say this, as we mature, that's right. We will see it more and more alike. That's right. And, and even where we differ, when we have differences and issues that will arise, because you've said it. I mean, if there, if there was a perfect church, as soon as I entered it, it's not perfect anymore. Where there are differences. I think Jeremy and I could say him into that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Where there are differences, the more mature we get, the more like-minded, the more that we agree around the gospel, the more that I'm going to come quickly where I have an issue rather than create factions where I say, no, I'm about this and you're about this and we can't, we can't come together on anything. And this is such a wonderful echo of the conversation from earlier about the, the beauty and importance of your local church. That's body. right. That's right. And that's, and that's how it gets worked out when you're in structures of accountability, where you are serving alongside of someone you disagree, maybe with. You know, where, where you're worshiping alongside of somebody that may not see it exactly as you do, but that's the beauty of the way that Christ holds us all together. Because when we're in those real life communities, we do mature as we deal with differences. And that doesn't, you said it, that doesn't mean it's our weakness. It means it's actually our strength because then we can suss that out together. We can figure it out together, have great conversations, and we all grow more as we hold Christ as central above all of those things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's all wonderfully concluded with verse 31, where it says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, Mm. right? It's so important that at the end of the day, we find all of our pride in what God did for us and not what we're actively doing for ourselves or who we're following. Hey, if you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love to know. We'd love to hear your feedback and to hear any questions that you may have as things come up when you're listening. If you could text the number 817-809-3040 with any questions that you have, we'd love to incorporate your comments and your feedback and your questions into future sermons 
online devotionals and podcasts as we distribute them. We hope that you're also engaged in our social media presence. This week we had a few really wonderful video devotionals go out over the course of the week that really help tune in and help apply the content of 1 Corinthians to our own lives. If you're not following us on Facebook, that is a wonderful place to find all of that. Again, all of our sermon series and content, including these podcasts, are available on all the podcast distributors, as well as by visiting cbc.family media. Again, this has been such a wonderful and encouraging time for us to chat through 1 Corinthians. We can't wait to talk with you next week as we dig even deeper into the content of the second chapter.